Good to see each and every one of you again today. And uh, uh, believe it or not, there's vitamin D outside. I'll try and give you a few vitamins through the scriptures this morning, but I see that elusive thing called sunshine glinting off the windshields of a couple of cars. And so you'll be able to enjoy a little of that in just a short period of time, depending how long I have to keep you today. I want to preach today, on a, I want to give you a reality check on the presence of God. It's a little different for me, and it takes a maybe a little different tone. More than a decade ago, a freshman at Eagle Rock Junior High School won first prize at the Greater Idaho Falls Science Fair. He was attempting to show a condition we've become to, alarmance, to alarmists who practice junk science and spread fear of everything in our environment. And in his project, he urged people to sign a petition demanding strict control or total elimination of a chemical known as dioxygen monoxide, and for plenty of good reasons. Here's some of the things that happens if you come in contact with this. It can cause excessive sweating and vomiting. It's a major component in acid rain. It can cause severe burns in its gaseous state, Accidental inhalation can kill you, and it decreases the effectiveness of automobile brakes. And so we asked 50 people if they supported a ban of the chemical. And especially when they heard the word monoxide, 43 of the 50 said yes. Six people were on undecided, and only one knew that the chemical was H2O, good old-fashioned water. And so 43 people voted for a ban against water. Unthinkable, isn't it? And see, this is the kind of account that Canadian comics love when they go south of, south of the border, and it's just as well that Crystal is not here for this sermon this morning. And when they, they target an audience in front of the camera just to embarrass them by asking people questions about something they have no knowledge of. And I've always gotten a kick out of this stuff. Because people seem to have an innate sense to want to appear connected to the world. And everybody wants to appear to be super intelligent. And so that's how, how comedians have gotten people to do crazy things. Like, number one, sign a petition against the Saskatchewan seal hunt. <laughs> I've been to Saskatchewan. It's the place where you could, they say you can watch your dog run away for three entire days. <laughs> Gotten people to congratulate the Canadian government on building a dome over its national igloo. Apparently a downsized version of the U.S. Capitol made out of ice to protect it from global warming. And one of the interview subjects that was fooled was the Arkansas governor, Mike Huckabee. Another person got him to congratulate Canada on legalizing insulin. <laughs> Although it was a Canadian who first discovered this substance. Can you imagine any of us commenting on the controversy around the reconstruction of the historic Peter Mann's Bridge, named after Prime Minister Peter Mann? Another person, 
Another person was asked if John Clechant Pinochet should be charged with crimes against humanity. There may be some evidence there of crimes against us, but I won't get into that this morning. And then the final one that I have for you this morning, someone congratulated Prime Minister Tim Horton on getting a double-double, <laughs> which we know as a coffee with two cream and two sugar, but apparently means support on both sides of the, of the Congress. And so to use a pun that I will never use again, their knowledge of, of Canada is abominable. I want to take you into scriptures this morning. This is not a stand-up comedy session, even though it started out that way a little. I want to take you to an episode in the life of Jacob. Something important escapes his attention. It's a moment of his life where he's not connected. Genesis 28, verse 10. You want to find it in your Bibles and read along with me this morning? I'm taking it from the New and International Version. Your Bibles are in your seats, so please feel free to follow. It's on the screen, I know, but I just felt that need for the rustle of pages this morning. As you know, I like. First book in the Bible, 28th chapter, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants shall be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And this line that captured me, and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Amen. How many things happen in our lives at times that it takes us a little time to clue into it? I've walked with a heavy heart towards a home to bring bad news on occasion. I've had people near faint when they saw me walking in their driveway at times. I was greeted at the door in a home with enthusiasm, received a warm welcome. And it's, it's rather devastating to stand there while these people have no idea why I'm coming to their home or the type of message I had to bring. I've known people who got ready to entertain me when I've had to stop them, tell them I didn't come to their home for a social visit. 
And you could watch their countenance change when I said they should compose themselves and perhaps be seated because the news I had to bring them wasn't good. And then came shock and then came grief. They were totally unaware of my mission on that particular occasion. Now, this account in the life of Jacob occurs immediately after he and his mother had deceived his father Isaac and stolen the birthright of Esau. It's family breakup time. Esau, Jacob's final piece of advice from his father is to leave home, get out of town until Esau's anger cools, and finally gives him another piece of advice, don't get married to a Canaanite woman. And this quip is as good a as a comparison to Jacob's life as, as, you, as you will find. Two men were discussing the character of a third man, and one guy said, let me describe him this way. And that's why he reminds me of Jacob. He's the kind of guy who follows you into a revolving door and comes out ahead of you. And so Jacob heads to Padan Aram, to the house of his uncle Laban, where he's to marry his first cousin. And in fact, he will marry two of his first, first cousins, their names being Leah and Rachel, in that particular order. On his way from the mess he created inside of his own home, by conspiring against his brother, he lay down for the night on a stone pillow in a place that's known as Luz, when you read it in Scripture. During the night, Jacob has this marvelous dream that we've read from the scriptures about. It's a stairway resting on the earth with, with its top reaching into heaven, and the angels of God, as the scripture tells us, are ascending and descending on it. Jacob's ladder is what we call it. Even though Jacob didn't create the ladder, and he didn't use it himself, he merely saw it. More powerful than the dream is the appearance of the Lord to Jacob in the dream and God's confirmation of the covenant that he made with, that he made with Abraham. But my point is that when he lay down to rest from his flight, from a place of deception and family conflict, Jacob had no consciousness or awareness of the presence of God. He arrived in a desolate spot. He's lonely. And for a brief period of time, he's homeless, and he lies down to sleep, not knowing that God is even near. And we know this because when he wakened in the morning, he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He went to sleep aware of God, but when he awakened, he knew God was present in the night and was still there, because he says God is in this place. And it was, under, it was probably this moment that Jacob understood what's contained in the Psalms, 139 and verse 7, a truth about God. The psalmist said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold, hold me up. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. You see, I should stop for a moment here and register my surprise that God would even visit Jacob. 
why does God show up where he's least expected? He didn't owe Jacob anything. In fact, if Jacob were to get some kind of divine retribution for his life at that time, I think he should have earned the wrath of God. He was a liar. He was a deceptive opportunist. The landscape at Luz was barren and bleak. It had none of the attractiveness of Isaac's home in Beersheba, which was known to be very fruitful. There's no altar at Luz. There's not even a tent for his shelter. And what we find is that God visits a fugitive and confers a blessing upon him that his own father could not have given him. Now, when I look at it in the proper light, grace is at work. And let me say that grace does its best work in places that are not very inviting. It's places where, you're, where your head's on a stone. It's places where we're fugitives from yesterday. Grace works when we're on the run from the disasters of life. And God is present at times whether we acknowledge him or not at these kinds of times. It's those kinds of moments when human beings seem to want to put distance between themselves and God. But if we'll clue into it, that's likely where God is going to do his best work in our lives. See, God was present in Belshazzar's feast in the book of Daniel. He's there as an uninvited guest. While the nobles and, and Belshazzar's officials partied and drank from the sacred vessels of Jerusalem's temple, God was present there, even though he was certainly not welcome and for a while certainly not seen. A hand appeared on the wall, and the message that it wrote spelled the downfall of a kingdom and a king. It caused Belshazzar's knees to shake, the scripture tells us. Daniel's arrival confirmed the fact that God had been near. He had seen what was happening. And people assume that God's invisibility spells his detachment. That God not being seen spells distance. But God's present in the dark corners of life. God's present in the injustice. God's present in the dark periods of time that we can go through individually and we see our world going through. We can look at the toughest scene in our world today. God understands it. He knows it. He stays close to his, to his, to his creation. Elijah sat pretty for, forlorn under a tree and said, Lord, take me home. I want to die. He said, I'm alone left. I'm the only one who serves you, Lord. I'm true, to, I'm true to you when everyone else is false. The rest of the nation were clamoring after Baal. But Elijah says, I've been faithful and the burden is too much to bear. Elijah was flat wrong. In fact, he was 7,000% wrong. <laughs> now, I don't mind being wrong by a low margin. When I was in school, anything in the 90s, I could enjoy. But if I crept close to an 80, I knew I had work to do. I knew some improvement was necessary. 
And God had to come to this despondent prophet and shake him with the truth that the effort was not down to one man inside of his own country, but that 7,000 loyal followers of the Lord lived inside of Israel. See, there are likewise personal spiritual considerations where we can't afford to be wrong. We can't afford to be out of touch. Perhaps there are people that you feel a kind of bitter loneliness in your soul. Perhaps you serve the Lord in a solitary condition in your family. And I've met many people like that. Perhaps you're understood by everyone you know who's close to you. But I want you to know today that you are never forsaken. You are never alone. God is present as he was with Jacob, even in the unexpected places. People can come into a church building. Sin could be clouding their vision. Uh, Yesterday can be rotting their soul. They can feel like they've been totally abandoned. They They may be in tough inside of their relationships, but God's present. And it's not the fact that he isn't present. It's always to do with our sensitivity to his presence. You see, we can develop Jacob's problem. His sensitivity to God had been dull because he was running according to his own efforts. God was there when he fled his brother's wrath. God was there when he stopped for the night and chose a stone for his pillow. God is there when old friends beckon you back to the life you used to have. God is there in the frightful hours of the night, when the future is unclear, or when you agonize in darkness, when things creep towards you and try to wrap their ugly tentacles around your life and rob you of your peace. Well, notice what Jacob discovers and pay attention to the tents. Surely the Lord is in this place. And is means now. My understanding of English says that is is present tense. And simply, I knew it not. He's there. But I don't perceive him. You see, Jacob had tried to manage his own life without God. And look where it got him. He became a man that was disassociated from his family. He was hated by his brother, and he's now on the run. And how many people live in the same, same condition today? We struggle and we strive, and all the time, God is there. He's there to guide. He's there to protect us. Here to give us the kind of counsel that we need. A few years ago, I remember this very well. The news reported that J. Clifford Baxter, one of the top executives of the scandalized Enron Corporation in the United States, was found in his car in a suburb of Houston, Texas. He died of a single gunshot wound to the head, and a note lay beside him. And in fact, the note was actually taken and put up on the Internet. Baxter, who was a native of Amityville, New York, received a bachelor's degree with honors from New York University, and in 1987 got his MBA from Columbia, where he was the valedictorian according to what was written in Enron about him. Baxter was 43 at the time, survived by his wife and two two children. How tragic. 43 years of age. 
And here's my point in bringing you this. Unconsciousness of God will always shrink your life. When we don't perceive he's there, when we don't know him, your life shrinks. Your life narrows from that kind of point. You see, it's a mistake to think that God builds a boundary around life. And an unreasonable one. I've heard people say, if I become a Christian, I can't do this or do that or go here or go there. And that's thinking inside the box. It means confining life to here and now. It means setting an horizon that's very close to us and never looking beyond it. Because I've got a comparison for you. Not only one man died on January 25th, 2002, when Baxter ended his life. In my diary, I have to thank for this. A 43-year-old Enron executive lived such a narrow life that he could, he could not look beyond a federal investigation into a business that he was a part of. But my diary tells me, on that exact day, because I wrote it up, a 73-year-old Christian that I knew very well, 30 years apart from the man who died, it was too much of a contrast not for me to record something about it in my own personal writings. The man died here in Cornerbrook, was not involved in a world of high finance, but he could see infinitely further than Mr. Baxter could. My friend had a healthy awareness of God, in fact, a saving awareness of God's presence, and he could see the one who was invisible and knew that God was with him. And rather than being bound to this world and to the things that limited his vision, he was set free from his boundaries and went into the presence of God with joy and thanksgiving. He knew the reality of Paul's sermon on Mars Hill amongst the philosophers and intelligent elitists of Athens. And Paul told them, in him we live and move and have our being. When he awakened in the morning, Jacob discovered that he'd not been alone. He went to sleep and maybe felt he was, he was there by himself. And maybe he felt the God of his fathers would not even bother with him in the condition he was in. But he rose up realizing that, and he says the word himself, something awesome had happened there. And so Jacob, in recognition of what he knew happened, set up a stone pillar and poured oil on it, renamed the place Bethel, or House of God. And from that point, Jacob went forward to his uncle Laban's house. And it would take 20 years before Jacob would turn his face toward the land of his fathers again. He's in exile from his family for 20 years. He's older. He's married twice, as I told you. And he's become very prosperous. And after two decades, he's going back to face his past. He's going back to meet his brother Esau. He's confronting yesterday. And on the way to do this, he has another spiritual experience. This time it's not a dream. For you see, the angels and the ladder were elements of something that was not real. But this time, and you know the story well, Jacob is grabbed into darkness by the Lord in human form. And they wrestled. The Lord mastered him, even though Jacob was desperate 
And he hung, hung on to the Lord and says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. And this time, something happens to him. He's changed, not just his name, but he's made very aware of the presence of God. And he realized that consciousness of God is not something that we fear. Who would fear? A God that has produced the message of the cross in the open tomb. Genesis 32 and 20 says this, because this is the wrestling with the Lord passage. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. See, God doesn't make himself known to us to diminish our lives. God makes himself known to enlarge our lives. God comes to us to make us more than we possibly could be without him. It's fear that keeps us from God. It's our own puny imaginations and our own set of, of tiny goals that limits us from him. It's doubt that removes him. And in spite of all these things, he seeks us and longs to be found. And so find him. Let him be there. Know that he's going to be present in the great moments of life, but also present in the darkest days of life. Let's bring this home and close it down this morning. How sad would it be for someone to come here to this church week after week, year after year, and never sense the presence of God in this place? Is it even possible? I think it may be true. You see, it, it's, it, I can only compare it to a person who would listen to the message of a fortune cookie, but neglect the word of God. Take the fortune cookie more seriously. But I suppose if my horizon were that short, I would only look as far as I want and never see anything that's incredible or awesome, as Jacob says it. If I dwell on the faults and fail, on failures of others, or minor issues, or matters of church government, I'd never progress where I am, and I'd never see the God who lives beyond it all and wants to be personal for us. You see, God wants to break into our lives, and he does so through what Christ has done. He draws us near. Emmanuel, God with us, we celebrate at Christmas time, but it's... it's it should be personal. God wants to allow the power of the Spirit to come to us and show us who G Jesus is. He's opened heaven, and not just an angel is going up and down on a, a ladder to communicate with us, but Jesus Christ himself has come, come down to us. He's wrestled with sin and death, our greatest enemies, given us a new name and a brand new relationship. How sad that someone would be unaware of that. Spirit of God has been outpoured. Divine interchange with heaven is possible. You could bow your head in this room this morning and cry out to God and he hears you and you can be very aware of his presence. And by faith, we must all know that he's here. John's Gospel has seven signs or miracles that Jesus is the Son of God. I love the first sign. Jesus goes to a wedding and water is changed into wine in Cana. He arrives at a wedding and announces his kingdom. Someday I'll preach on it here. Weddings are joyful. 
Jesus comes into the emergency of a young couple and saves the day for them. But do you know where you find Jesus in the seventh sign? Not a wedding. It's the gravesite of a special friend named Lazarus. Between the wedding in Cana and the funeral in Bethany is all of the range of things that a person faces in a lifetime. It's a gospel that's filled with the reality of human experience. In the end, a young couple is blessed by his presence in Cana. But if you keep following along, a boy is healed. Jesus calms a storm. 5,000 are fed until finally you get to you get to Lazarus and a family that's broken by death is, re, is reunited. The presence of Christ in all of the unfolding dramas of human life. Oh, how badly we need a reality check on the presence of God in our living. Same message that came to Jacob. See, approaching God cannot be looked upon as an obligation. I've got to go to church. Approaching God can't be looked upon as something that just fills a slot in a schedule, but it needs to be a celebration. How great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God to thee. That's sung by people who have an awareness of God. Church is not ritual. It's got to be based on relationship. Jesus is not a character from history who tells good stories. He's the living God whom the Spirit comes to reveal to our souls. And He's the reason why we're in this place. He's the reason I preach. He's the reason I live. God's presence is in Cornerbrook Baptist Church. And I know it. I trust that what I say of the church as the body of Christ, this localized body of church, you can say of your own world as well. God's presence is in this life. And I know it. And he's here today to be discovered He's come not to hide himself from us, but he's here. And to that I say hallelujah. He is here. I'm going to ask the musicians to come back and we're going to sing How Great Thou Art again. Sing it with a full awareness of the presence of God. Before I do that, let's bow our hearts and as the musicians set up for just a moment of prayer. And I want to pray for anyone who doesn't have the reality of God's presence living in their life. I want to talk to me more about this. I'd be glad to hear from you. But maybe in this moment of prayer that we have next, you can reach out to him and say, Lord, make me aware of who you are. Come to me by the power of your spirit. And tell me, regardless of where you find yourself today, He's here, and you can experience the blessedness of his presence. Father, thank you. Thank you for this ancient example of a man who lies down, fleeing his past. 
a man whose life has been steeped in godliness, but has been marred by, by wrong living. Deception. In fact, his whole name means deception. And at the end of his time away, you change his name. You turn his whole family into a blessing, for out of that family comes the Messiah of the world. And so today, Lord, in our lives, individually and corporately as this church, I pray that we will have a full understanding that God is here to be experienced. He's here to be embraced in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And we, fallen humanity, can be reconciled to God and be permitted to lift our prayers and petitions and to enjoy fellowship with you. And so, Lord, as we sing on this song again, I pray that you would touch our lives afresh and send us forth from this place today with the knowledge that God is here. He's here to be celebrated. We do that, Lord. In Jesus' name, yes. amen.